What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Sober Plug Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Duffy. I'm really excited to get this going. I've been meaning to get it done for the last couple months, but a lot of things have been going on. Um, But like I said, I'm very excited to get this going. And basically what my intent is is with this podcast is to um, help people that are either in recovery, trying to get into recovery, struggling with addiction, um, bring certain drug awareness to, to the surface and, uh, and spread some hope, you know what I mean? Give my own personal experience about what has worked for me, what hasn't, uh, warning signs along the way and things that I use today to, to better my life. And there's also going to be a channel about mindset and really trying to build the type of life that you want in recovery. Um, a lot of people, get this idea that recovery is boring and that sobriety is a death sentence and that it's looked at with a negative context for a lot of people before they get sober. You know, I'll speak for myself. I know before I ever got clean, I thought my life was over. I was like, I was like sobriety, man. Yikes. Um, I don't think I could. I don't think I could do that. What am I going to do for the rest of my life? How boring is this going to be? And I was, I was deceived. I just really wasn't. I really wasn't aware of what sobriety could be, and what it means to to me today. I would have never imagined my life playing out the way it is now. Um, of course, we learn from experience, right? Experience is the best teacher. So, in today's uh, podcast. Really, what I want to do is by opening up, I, I want to share a little bit of um, what my vision is. Of course, of the podcast, which I which I spoke on a little bit, who I am, give you a little bit of background on what my story is, so you understand I'm not just some Joe schmo talking about recovery and addiction and who hasn't been there before. Because uh, I definitely have. I definitely have a story, and uh, I would like to open up and let you guys. Uh, be aware of, of where I come from and what my background is and what my vision is going forward and um, how good that life could really be in recovery. And so I will try to give you the Reader's Digest version. Uh, my story can be pretty long, but I'll I'll try to uh, give you key points and um, my experience in my, uh, in my addiction and, and what it's like now in recovery. So um, to open up, I grew up in in New York, about an hour north of the city, and uh, I grew up with two older brothers, who I'm still close with today, and and a single mom. My my father passed when I was about three years old, and so uh, my mom certainly had a a time of it, um, raising three three boys under one house, and it (laughs) it was interesting to say the least, you know? And there was a lot of there's a lot of chaos in the house, and uh, in in a good way though. You know what I mean? It it was. I definitely am appreciative of, of how I grew up. I mean, we certainly weren't rich or, or by by any means, um, but my mom did an amazing job, and and so um, the first time um, and before I even get into that, I, I think the the reason why I bring up my father passed when I was young. It's very important because this kind of set up the the rest of my childhood going forward. I remember I was always looking up to the older crowd. I was always looking for um, those male figures in my life, like my older brothers, to kind of have someone look after me type of deal. You know what I mean? I always felt like something was missing. And and um, that's what I did. Uh, I Growing up, I always really gravitated towards the older, older crowd. And, um, it got me in a lot of trouble, you know? And, and so I remember, um, I remember looking up to my brother, uh, Chris in particular, and cause me and him had a lot in common. And, um, I remember he, him, my, my brothers are seven and eight years older than me. So I remember watching them starting to party and starting to have a good time with girls and friends and, I just remember being really young, man, and I just remember saying, wow, I cannot wait for my time to arrive, you know? I cannot wait to be able to have a good time, and it, and it looked so it looked so attractive to me. I didn't understand what it was. I just knew I wanted it, you know? I wanted to be able to party. I wanted to be able to have a good time and to, uh, 
uh, constantly, I was always trying to get outside of myself in a certain way, you know, even at a really young age, there was like something about it where, um, I was always glorifying what people older than me, what they were doing. And, and I was trying to impress them. And so, um, I remember my, the first time that I got high, I was nine, I was nine years old and long story short, there was a family friend obviously that that we knew really well and and her daughter ended up watching me because was my mom was out for the day and my brothers weren't around and so um she was watching me she was 18 years old and i remember my brothers they smoked cigarettes and so i remember i said well let me get it let me get a cigarette and she gave me one she gave me a cigarette <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> a couple hours go by and, and I said, uh, I said, I want to smoke. And now I meant another cigarette and I meant that I wanted another one. And she said, oh, you want to smoke? And I said, yeah. So she started making this homemade piece out of a, out of a big pen and, uh, some tin foil and some other things and started putting green on it. And there I was, I was, you know, I was like, wow, I don't know what this is, but this is interesting. You know, I started getting high at nine and I remember the feeling of I remember the feeling of knowing I was doing the wrong thing but being excited that I was going to have to get away with it meaning I knew that later on I was going to see my mom obviously and that I was going to have to hide it you know I couldn't tell my brothers I couldn't tell my mom and I was going to have to hide this thing and that excited me you know and I and I mentioned that because even at a really young age I was addicted to the certain adrenaline rushes of trying to get away with stuff you know i learned at a really young age covering for my brother and stuff because he was doing his own thing right and i remember i would kind of have to lie and lie and not tell my mom the full truth of certain things or else he would have gotten in trouble and i looked up to him so i didn't want him getting in trouble you know what i mean and not to say not to say i'm i'm blaming anything on him at all i'm just saying this is how i looked at it in the moment you know and and so um i learned these tools of deceiving and lying and maybe the there are shortcuts that are easier than than being honest you know and and this kind of played out i mean this really did this played out this was kind of this was like the foundation before I ever started getting high. Like I learned the tools that you need when you're in an, in an active addiction of lying, manipulating. I remember stealing at a young age, like the, all these things, these behaviors and these character, these character defects of mine really popped out at a young age. And so I, I really was uh, used to them by the time I was starting to get high, you know what I mean? So I was kind of groomed, <laughs> well-groomed into it, if you look at it that way. And so by the time I was 11 and 12 years old, I was pretty much getting high on a daily basis or as close to it as possible. I remember I really loved weed. Weed was a huge thing for me. I mean, I did not smoke weed like a normal person ever, ever. It, it was always all or nothing for me and rarely was it nothing <laughs> i was always always heavily involved and um obsessed over it i mean seriously it was my it was my getaway you know and, and it was something that i really um it was my comfort and so i remember thinking at a young age i don't think i smoke i don't think i smoke normally you know like <laughs> i think i might have an issue here and uh but i didn't really care you know what i'm saying i i wasn't interested in self-awareness or stopping by any means, but I, but I always knew that I did not get high like a normal person by any means. So um, by the time I was 12, uh, I got suspended, uh, excuse me, I got expelled for the first time when I was in sixth grade. So the evidence was already, already, it was already becoming evident that this was problematic for me. I got expelled in the sixth grade. Like I said, I was getting high with two older kids on school grounds. Uh, they were in the seventh and eighth grade. And so, um, and, and my school was fed up with me. I mean, I, I was always getting in trouble, constantly being the class clown, trying to get, trying to get um, a rise out of teachers. And, and I was really just acting out and I think I was just kind of lost, you know what I mean? I really didn't have much guidance. Not that my mom didn't try, and because everybody certainly did, but 
I kind of just, you know, I was really rebellious and always anti, um, authority and really like my way or the highway type of thing. And I was really just getting in my own way. I just didn't know it. Cause I was, obviously I was very young and immature. And so, um, that pattern really stayed the same for a long time. I mean, throughout middle school, like I said, constantly getting in trouble, um, suspensions, getting into fights, um, stealing money to to be able to smoke i mean it was just it was just ridiculous <laughs> i mean um i wasn't doing normal things that your average 12 13 uh 12 and 13 year old is doing you know what i mean also really used networking with older older kids to my advantage because they were able to get things that i wasn't able to get and i was able to get away with more with them and and I learned a lot from them, you know. So, um, basically, by the time I was I was 15, uh, it stayed the same. I mean, it ended up getting worse, but I, I got expelled again when I was 15. And um, before that, I, even, I actually, before I even got expelled, I, I was in my first outpatient um, in the summer, right, bef- right before... So I think I was actually 14. I think I was 14 when I went to my first outpatient uh, rehab. And my mom was trying to get me clean. And I knew the only way that I was going to be able to get high again was if I stopped briefly, you know, and kind of got them off my back type of deal. And so I figured, well, all right, I'll stop smoking, but I think I'm going to start selling. Because at least if I take this break, I'll be able to make some money and I'll be able to... um, network and by the time I'm I start smoking again I'll have plenty of money and I'll have plenty of weed and that was my plan that was my master plan and that's pretty that's pretty much what I did you know and and so eventually of course I um got out of outpatient I started going to school and about 2 months into my my freshman year of high school I got expelled I'd already been suspended like 4 times and I got caught with weed on school grounds and long story short, um, they had enough of me. So they expelled me from school. So it was my second time by the time I was 15. I already gotten expelled twice. And during this time, um, I actually, I was with somebody that they were so messed up while I was expelled. I, you know, well, obviously, I wasn't going to school. So I was with somebody and uh, they were so messed up off of um heroin that they ended up dropping a couple bags and i saw it so i picked it up now i didn't know it was heroin i really didn't i I thought that they were doing pills i thought that they were doing oxys and i really didn't know enough about the pill game or dope obviously or anything like that i was i was 15 so i was really ignorant when it came to that and so i remember picking up the bag or the couple bags and I remember taking it in the bathroom with me, and, and I remember I I did it when I was at home. I did a I did a full bag of dope, and I, I thought it was oxy's. I hadn't like I said I had no idea, but I was willing to try it. I really didn't care. I mean, if you told me it was it was H, I probably would have done it anyway. You know, that was just kind of who I was. I just really it was like do first, ask later type of deal. You know, that's how my mindset was. I, I was always a doer, and usually not in the, not in the good way. You know, set me up for a lot of uh, pain and, and and messes. You know, so I was 15. I, I did heroin for the first time, and I remember thinking to myself, "What the hell did I just do?" You know, like I don't even know what this is. And I remember feeling just got this rush over me. You know, and I remember I was trying to feel. I was trying to act normal, like I didn't just do what I did. <laughs> like, let me shoot the basketball around a little bit and and see if I uh, feel any better, you know, or or see if I can just kind of pretend I didn't do that. And I remember I, sh- I shot the basketball outside and I almost fell on my face. I couldn't even stand up straight, and uh, I got I got fearful. I was like, Am I about to die? Like, I don't even I don't even know what's going on. And so I went to the back backyard on my on my place. And I laid down in the hammock, and I have no idea how long I was out for, but I did pass out. Um, when I came to, 
I went inside the house and my mom was looking at me and she was like, where the hell have you been? And I said, oh, I was sleeping outside in the hammock. And she was like, you're sleeping outside in the hammock. She's like, it's raining out. She's like, it's been raining out. What do you mean you were sleeping outside in the hammock? And I was like, you know, I didn't even know it was raining. I mean, that's how messed up I was. When I was walking inside, I I was just in a different world, you know. And I remember I was laying out there in the hammock. Uh, once I kind of got over the fear of, of dying, I remember thinking to myself, wow, this is <laughs> this ain't too bad. You know, this is pretty good. And so I remember I took one bite of food and I threw it up and that was that. Um, my, my mom definitely knew something was up. She just didn't know what, you know. And so um, when I was 16 and, and, and 17, that's when that's when my addiction got really bad. That's when I started getting into the, into the pills. I didn't get into heroin right away. Um, but I did start messing around with the pills, Xanax. Oxys, um, all that, all that stuff, you know, the, the dry goods came later of, um, Coke and ecstasy and everything like that. And I mean, I was really doing everything, you know what I mean? Of course, partying as much as possible. And, um, no matter what, I was constantly, constantly on the go. It was constantly go mode. Like there was no, there was no chill. There was no relax. Um, there was no lax using or moderate use ever, ever. It was kind of like in my head, it was a it was a street light that was constantly green. You know, there was no red. There was def, definitely no, um, there was no yellow and there was definitely no red. I mean, there was no stopping at, at any point. And um, even out of all my friends, I mean, I, I usually hung out with the older crowd, like I said, and, and I was usually the youngest, but I I was putting down the most, and I was kind of the kid that people could look at and be like, "Damn, dude, this like this kid's got a problem." I was the kid that you looked at when you wanted to feel good about how you were using drugs, you know, um, like look at this kid, he's out of control, you know. I kind of got my stuff together. I'm not that bad. I was that guy, you know, like I was the guy that was passed out on the lawn at 3 a.m. and um, going to the hospital and, um, mixing and matching and, and doing everything. And so by the time I was, um, 17, I mean, I really, I really just, uh, I really had no desire to do anything but that. And, that was kind of my life story. Even at, I mean, even at 15, when I was smoking weed and everything, it was really just what my life became about. But by the time I was 17, it really everything else fell off. When I was in school, I mean, I looked at school as basically a big social event, a big party to have a good time, to network, and to I, I you know I didn't take it seriously. I definitely didn't get good grades. I did the bare minimum to get by. And that was that. I had no interest in excelling at school. I always knew for myself that I wasn't going to be a person who is very <laughs> reliant on school grades to get by. That is for sure. <laughs> I basically made a commitment to look at school as a social event. You know what I mean? And that's how it was. And that's exactly what I did. I was a chameleon. You know what I mean? I hung out with all different types of crowds um, at school. Whether it was the jocks, the skaters, the troublemakers, the the stoners, like what, whatever, every everybody, you know, and and so, uh, but the the reason for that was kind of because I really didn't know. I mean, I was always personable, you know what I mean, and I was never uncomfortable. Like I I would consider myself an extrovert, uh, specifically in school. Not so much now. I'm a little bit of both, an introvert and an extrovert. But when I was in school, I was definitely just. Uh, I enjoyed, I enjoyed messing around and being social and just kind of being all over the place, you know, and, but I think a lot of that was because I really didn't know my own identity. And so I just kind of gravitated towards all these different groups and kind of, um, wasn't comfortable in my own skin. So I kind of adapted to what the group at the time was doing, you know what I mean? And so there were, uh, 
I, I did have, I did have a, a, a few, I probably had a, a good five or six friends that I was really tight with. That was my group getting older, you know what I mean? And that's who I stuck with. But I mean, there were even times where they couldn't hang around me because I was so out of control. You know what I mean? I was the kid where the, the, the parents didn't really want me over because they were worried that I was, you know, a little too, uh, I was off a little bit too much. You know, I remember my, one of my best friends, his parents said to me, uh, yeah, we're, you know, we love you, but, um, we basically don't want you dying in our house. And that's what, that's the point it kind of got to, you know what I mean? And, and I heard them. (laughs) I I understood. I really did. Um, so that was, that was, I, I always, um, I really always, I I always understood where people were coming from. I knew I was out of control. I just really didn't care. You know what I'm saying? I really didn't want to get better. I didn't want to put any effort in life. I kind of just wanted to escape all the time. And uh, by the time I was 18, my senior year in high school, I was I was I was done. I mean, I was really out of control. I remember I uh, I met. Uh, I met this girl that it was the first love type of deal. You know, we all go through that. And so uh, I remember when we broke up, I was completely out of control. You know, I, I really, uh, my usage just got so bad. I got my first DUI like two weeks later. And um, I was off like, I was over like, I took more than like 20 bars. I remember I went and I got, a bunch of Xanax from, from one of my plugs and, um, I got 20 from him. And when I got pulled over, they found me with two and, and I already was on a bunch earlier in the day before I even met him. So I was just completely out of control. And I remember when the cop pulled me over, it's crazy. Cause I actually do remember getting pulled over. And he said, uh, he came up to me and he was like, are you all right? And he didn't even ask me for my license registration. He just asked me if I was all right. And so long story short, I got my first DUI. Needless to say, I got a possession charge. And I mean, I, I had just turned 18. And so that was definitely a little bit of a wake-up call. Not not that, not really for me. I really didn't want to get clean. But but my mom was like, all right, enough of this, you know, and, so we're going to send him, send you to rehab, and that's what happened. I remember when I went to school, I told my assistant principal, I said, hey, Miss Higgins. And me and Miss Higgins got along actually really well. She was my English teacher when I was in the ninth grade, and and um, we always got along. And I told her, I said, hey, Miss Higgins, I think, I'm, I think i got to go to rehab. And she smiled, and she said, that's great. <laughs> she said, that's great news, because they, they didn't want me there. You know what I mean? They, they definitely knew I definitely needed to be in a, in a facility and was in no shape to be in school. That's for sure. Especially by senior year. I mean, in senior year, I really wasn't even getting in trouble. I was just so out of whack. I was just so out of control with my usage that I couldn't even go to school sober. I mean, there was just no way. Uh, I, I couldn't be sober anywhere. And so I, that's exactly what I did. I went to treatment. I went to this place in Connecticut called uh, High Watch. And I I was there for, I believe, 21 days. I think it was 21 days. Yep. And basically, that was just to kind of get people off my back. You know, I agreed to go, and and that was great and everything. But I definitely wasn't ready. But it really was a good place. I did learn a lot. I met a lot of good people. And the staff was really good to me, and and it was good, you know. But that was rough, man, coming off of Benzo's and – and Oxy's like going in. I mean, I looked like a skeleton. I was probably like, I don't know, maybe a hundred pounds at that point. It was bad. I got one picture that I that I uh, found recently of what I looked like going in, and it was brutal. I mean, it was just ridiculous. I, I looked green almost. It was like a, I looked like a yellow green. It was just crazy, man. I looked so bad because at this point, I mean, I was basically doing anywhere from two to five Zanny bars a day, uh, two to five Oxys a day. And, uh, or this was Roxy's at the time. Yeah. Two to five Roxy's a, a day. 
and the bars a day. I mean, and that was just an average day, you know, because I was selling and I had money to do it. And I was scheming and middlemanning pills and just doing every. My whole life revolved around it, you know, and and so it was bad. Um, when I got out of treatment, basically I had no desire to get clean. I thought I was just going to smoke some weed and maybe drink a little bit, but I wasn't going to go back to the other stuff. And that didn't last very long. I was in the hospital about, about three weeks later. Um, and then about another two to three months later, I got my second DUI. Um, when I, when I told my car, one of the best, one of my best friends at the time that I, that he was just as crazy as I was, um, he uh, he saved my life actually the night before that I got in that DUI. Uh, he said I started turning blue. He said that I was unconscious and and apparently, you know, he put ice on me and and he gave me uh, CPR I think. And, and when I came to, uh, he actually fed me uppers. He gave me coke and ecstasy. And believe it or not, coke actually wasn't something that I was doing much of it all actually i think that was the first time i ever did it was when i was 18 believe it or not it was just something that i never really got into and the first time i did it was when i was coming when i was coming off an overdose and i don't even remember doing it he, he told me this and um so he saved my life that night and, and you know it's just it's crazy that the stuff that you hear when your life is completely out of control. I mean, most of the most of the stories I have, I don't even know I have them <laughs> because they're what they're what people have told me I did and things I wasn't even aware of. And so, um, the next morning, I remember I was coming out of a blackout, and he told me this, and I said, "Where are we?" He says, "He says, dude, I'm dropping you off to your car. You've been saying that you wanted to go home and you wanted to go home and, um." And so the the previous day when all this was happening, I skipped court because I was worried about my DUI case. And that's when I started I started getting out of hand. And this is when I almost, almost overdosed. So um, basically, long story short, he was following me home. I, I started driving home. And I literally totaled my car like two minutes later. Um, he was behind me. I gave him all the stuff that was in my car. He basically left. He left the scene to, to get the stuff that was in my car out of there. And, and, uh, and I was arrested with my second DUI uh, within literally three months. So needless to say, my life was just so out of control by the time I was 18. Um, and uh, there really was no s- stopping in sight. I just didn't know how to deal with life. You know what I mean? I, I thought... I just thought like this was the answer for me. I remember one day in particular, I was in a lot of distress, a lot of pain, and I remember doing these three Roxies and th- and the pain going away and thinking, "Wow, I found it. You know, I found the solution. This is like the solution to my problems." You know what I mean? And um I thought that this was going to be the answer for me. And I was gravely mistaken. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention to all the negatives that were coming from it. And, and I was just so fixated on the instant gratification that I was willing to ignore the mountain of evidence around me that my that my life was collapsing. You know what I mean? And that um, I was living a completely unmanageable, unsustainable life. And this is what we do. This is what we do in addiction. We, we make really poor choices and we the only way we can continue is to continuously justify our poor actions as we're making them, you know? It's the only way that you can really continue along this path for so long. It's like we know that we're messed up, right? But we just continue to justify it and over and over again. So basically by the time I was 19... Um, I, uh, long story short, I, I really hit a new bottom. I, I blacked out the night before where someone spotted me, which was they, they gave me drugs for free on the arm, which free up front, not for free where you don't have to pay it back. And you eventually got to pay it back. So I got fronted, um, up front to sell 
And basically what happened was the night before, or excuse me, that night, I blacked out. I lost everything. I lost all the money, all the drugs. And the next day, I just went completely wild. And this happened a lot, when I, especially on Xanax. I would get this anger, this rage that once it came over me, it was a wrap. It was just uh, all rationale was completely out, out the window. And so, long story short, I had one of my best friends. He drove me to, uh, I told him, hey, go to this gas station. And I said, I'm, I'm going to rob it. And he, he laughed in my face. He says, yeah, all right. He says, yeah, you're going to rob a gas station. You're, what are you, out of your mind? I said, drive me. He says, all right. And he, he thought I was kind of full of shit, you know. <laughs> he thought, and uh, he was wrong. I was very serious. And so... About 15 minutes later, I got arrested, and I spent the next six months in jail. And I thought I thought I was done. I thought I was going away to prison for like five years, at least, because I still had the two DUIs from the previous year still going on in court, because I was going to school, and long story short, I was going to a community college in Buffalo to live with my friends who were going to school up in Buffalo. Um, I wanted to live with them. And party up there, even if it meant I was going to community college because I certainly couldn't get into a, a university of Buffalo or even Buff State for that matter, which isn't even that great of a school. But the only place I can get into is community college. So the reason why this is important was because while I was up in Buffalo, my court case kept getting put back and put back for my DUIs. So by the time I committed this robbery when I was 19, I, I still had those charges pending. And so I had a lot of stuff on me. I mean, I was in big, big trouble. And I remember thinking, I'm done. Like, there's no way. There's no way I'm not going to prison. You know what I mean? And um, and so I remember talking with the old timers that were in jail there. And I told them my charges and my situation. And they, they looked at me and they said, yeah, man, you're, you're, you're in bad shape. You're most likely going to do at least three years, probably more. And so I just accepted that. You know what I mean? I just thought that was my, that was my, that was my fate and that this was what my life brought me to, you know, I was 19 and my life was looking really bad. And, uh, I wouldn't say I was suicidal in jail because I, I definitely wasn't, but I certainly didn't want to live, you know, and there's a slight difference between the two, but man, I just, I was like, wow, man, I really did it this time, you know? And I thought, how the hell did I end up in this position? Like, how did my life get like this? I wasn't raised like this, you know what I mean? And um, it was definitely an eye-opener. It was the first time where my actions actually kind of scared the shit out of me, which is crazy because there were so many other things along the way that should have... I should have had that aha moment, but this is kind of the first one that really stuck out to me big time. And so long story short, we went through a couple different lawyers. Um, I actually had a fund put aside for me from my father that passing um, that was meant to, to go to college and it certainly didn't go to college. Uh, it was actually spent on the best lawyer that we could possibly find. And luckily enough for me, this lawyer was really well respected, so we we, we paid him fifteen thousand dollars, and I was out of jail within within like a week, maybe two weeks maximum. I don't even think it was two weeks. And so after six months of looking like I was going to prison, uh, he got me out in a week, and he and he. But the the thing was, I had to go to treatment, and so I did. I went to treatment. I went to treatment for the, like the next five months. I went to a couple different places. After that, I went to a sober house. And I actually got together about nine months, nine months of sobriety. Um, things were going, things were going pretty well, but I stopped doing the things that I needed to do in my sobriety, and I started getting resentful. Some things were going on in my life, and and I really wasn't, like I said before, doing what I needed to do. I wasn't going to meetings. I wasn't being honest with people, and I was just holding shit in that. Uh, I should have talked about it with people. You know what I mean? I started getting resentful and acting stupid. This is what we do. When anger and resentment is a bad mix, especially when you're an immature 19-year-old who uh, is not ready to is not ready to get honest with himself. And that's basically where I was at. So 
I uh, I got high. I relapsed. I said, okay, I'm just going to smoke weed. And I started hanging out with my old friends again, and that's all it took. And I'll never forget it. I was smoking weed for about five minutes. By the third time the the weed came around in the circle, I was already hitting up my old plug, my old connect. I was trying to get heroin that quickly within five minutes of smoking weed. And that's pretty much my story. Like, that's pretty much how I am. That's how I operate. There is no moderation for me. It's like all or nothing, you know? And so that was crazy to me, but I, uh, so that's, that's basically what I did. I mean, I started getting high immediately again. I was living in a $400 a month <laughs> apartment and, in this slum shit <laughs> city, uh, I was not in a good neighborhood. It was just bad. It was really, really bad. Uh, I hit a bunch of new bottoms there. I didn't have a car. I had to take the bus everywhere, and I was walking around, and uh, you know, I'd get by, walk in, and taking cabs, and taking the bus, and I was working at Target, and. <laughs> I mean, my life was really bad. It was not looking good. Uh, I didn't have two pennies to rub together. I remember this continued for for I don't know six six months or so. And I remember I was walking home one day, and I had fifteen dollars to my name, and I'm thinking, how am I gonna get high today? What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do to get by today? You know, and so. I was walking down the street. I was walking home, trying to come up with some ideas, and um, and somebody somebody yells out the window. Someone drives by and he yells out the window, "Hey, Connor!" And uh, and I look and I didn't I didn't recognize who it was. And I get a call about a minute later. I didn't recognize the number. And the person goes, "Hey, yo, what's going on, Connor? How are you doing?" It's uh, it's so and so. And it was a person I was in rehab with. Uh, six, six, seven months earlier, whatever the case may be, and he says, "How you doing, bro?" I said, "I'm living like shit, man." <laughs> I said, "Things are going really bad. I'm not doing well at all." He says, "Oh, great. Me too." He says, "I'm not doing well either." I said, "Okay." I said, "So what are you doing?" I said, "What are you, what are you trying to get into?" You know, and so we obviously we met up and um. And we were we were score we were gonna score together and we did and so he he turns to me we're walking to his place and and we're walking to his place and he goes yo he says you ever you ever tried the needle before and I said nah he says oh man he says you gotta he says you gotta try it and I remember thinking to myself oh man you know here we go. Like, this is kind of the last step, you know what I'm saying? This is pretty much, like, the only thing left I haven't done. And I was thinking to myself, well, I said, yeah. I said, all right. I said, no doubt. Let's let's go. And so uh, he shot me up. He shot me up in his place. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget that feeling walking home. It was a really, really crappy, cold, rainy day out. Uh, it was April 13th of 2013 and I was walking through, uh, these, you know, these sketchy neighborhoods and just looking down and I had holes in my clothes and, you know, holes in my shirt and my shoes and just, I was like a bum. Like seriously, it hit me. I'm like, yo, you're 20 years old and you're a bum, dude. Like you're broken. You're done, dude. Um, I didn't even recognize who I was, you know? And it hit me just like a ton of bricks. Like, it never really connected with me before. And uh, I knew my life was going to change that day one way or the other. One way or the other, it was going to get... It was either going to be really bad moving forward, and I probably wasn't going to be alive within the next, you know, I probably wouldn't have seen my 20, 21st, 22nd birthday, or I was going to get better, and I didn't know how, but I just knew it was going to be one way or the other, 
and I really was undecided about which it was going to be because I didn't, I actually did not want to stop to be quite honest with you. I really did not, but I just knew something had to change. So I called my mother, (laughs) right? I called my mom and, uh, she said to me, well, um, she said, you could stay with me, but the only way you're staying with me is if you go to meetings and if you get clean, that's it because, um, you can't stay here if you're going to be getting high. There's just no way. And so my mom has, has a lot of clean time as well. Uh, she's got over 30 years now. And so, but at the time, you know, she was not, she was not going to be putting up with (laughs) my stuff. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to come and live with her and just basically be a tornado in her life, which I had done many, many years before. So she said, yeah, you could stay here. And she was living in a little studio at this point. And, and I remember, I remember I was going to my, I was staying in a, like I said, a $400 a month bedroom. I mean, this crappy little, (laughs) crappy little spot. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, this guy owes me security. What if I leave here and get my security deposit back and then I can get half of my month's rent back? Because like I said, it was the 13th of April when this happened. So it was right around halfway through April. And I, and I remember thinking, if I can get my security back and half of April's month's rent back, I can kind of go on another little run. I don't have to stay with my mom just yet or I could figure it out. You know what I mean? I can, I can use this money to get high. And that was my plan. That was that, and that kind of put the icing on the cake. I'm like, yep, I'm definitely getting out of here. And I knew that the guy was going to want me to leave because he didn't want me there. Uh, he definitely did not want me living there anymore. Um, and so when I when I went up to him and asked him, he said, yeah, he says, yeah, you can get out of here. I'll give you your security back. I'll give you half a month's rent. I don't, I don't care, you know. And so uh, uh, that was when my journey started. I moved into my mom's on April 14th. 2013 and that is my sobriety date still to this day um almost eight years ago and i and i gotta be honest i the only reason i'm able to say that is because it's it's simply a miracle i really i didn't think i would be able to stay sober for eight hours at a time never mind almost eight years I mean, it was unfathomable for me. I, I knew I needed to do something different, but I didn't really think I was capable of doing it. It's like it's kind of like when you're if you're overweight, you know that you got to lose weight. You know that you got to do something different, but the journey just looks so overwhelming to getting better and doing and doing the next right thing and starting that process. Like we know what we got to do for ourselves sometimes, but we just can't connect the dots on how we're actually going to do it. And that was exactly where I was at. And so when I moved in with my mom, I had, I think it was six or $700 from, from this guy. He gave me my money for, for my rent and my deposit. And it's an absolute miracle that I didn't get high with that money. Cause I wasn't honest about having money or not, of course. And, um, so while my mom was at work, I was just constantly toying with the idea of going on another run and going to get high. And it's a simple miracle that I didn't, you know, I don't think even that was me. I really think something else was happening. You know what I'm saying? Because I can't really explain it. But we started going to meetings. I started going to AA meetings. And I know that that's not the route that everybody goes. And that's totally okay. Because I'm not here to define what recovery is for you. Some people go to meetings. Some people go to celebrate recovery. Some people hire a recovery coach like myself. I am a recovery coach. Some people go to treatment and go that route. Other people use harm reduction and and go on maintenance and therapy and things like that. But either way, um, whatever works for you works for you, and that's cool. I'm not here to define it. I'm just here to say what worked for me and what my story was. But AA was huge for me, and it still is. I still go to AA. Um, and that was a game changer. Um, I went to 
they recommend going 90 meetings in 90 days. And I probably went to like 100 and I don't know, 105, 110 and 90 because I just needed to surround myself with, with these people. I just, I knew that I, I was not capable of living my life in a positive, productive way on my own. I, I clearly, I had, I think I had enough evidence that I was, I was living all fucked up. <laughs> I didn't have it right uh, by any means. And I finally got to a place where I was humble enough to take some direction and take some advice from other people. And that was a first for me because I always thought I knew what I needed to do. And the best thing, I knew what Connor needed to do and no one was going to tell me how to live. That was my attitude. And and that changed. That really changed quickly after after this last bottom here. And so uh, that's what I did. I really just... Things got so much better. Like, so I'll say this before I even get into that. In, in the immediate beginning, it's not even that like my my perspective on life was so much grander or things became amazing overnight because that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen for most people. But but what I did notice for me was that the bad shit stopped happening. You know, the negative, the trouble, the mental. Um, just being the mental slave to the bag type of thing. And and I recognize that. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, maybe not everything is so great and grand. And, and that's okay. Uh, because the trouble is stopping. And, and things are getting better because they're not getting worse. And sometimes we need to focus on that in the beginning. And that was enough for me. And I started making friends in, in AA. And I was definitely the youngest one. Don't get me wrong. I mean, getting getting clean when you're 20 has its own set of challenges, right? I mean, nobody comes flying into sobriety on the wings of glory. You know what I mean? It's not easy for anybody necessarily. But um, there's certain challenges with different different stages, right? So at 20, I was having this mindset of like, oh, man, how am I... 20 I can't even take a legal drink yet and I'm gonna get and I'm gonna commit to sobriety how am I gonna do this and so I'll tell you how I did I took it one day at a time you know what I mean I, I really just kept my feet in front of me and focused on where I was at and that was good enough for me and there were there were people that were willing to help me along the road in AA and and um really assist me in that way. And that's basically, you know, there's the secret sauce right there. Like if you're serious about getting clean, no matter what, I don't care what it is that you that you're going to be what route you go down, but you got to be open to taking guidance from people who have been there. We got to be connected. We got to be connected with people that are living it and that are coming from a place of experience. Because it takes humility. If you're trying to get clean and and you keep your ego uh, at the forefront, you're, you're going to have a tough time. Uh, I, I know it because I did it and, and I failed along the way, you know, whenever I was trying to do things my way, that's when I paid the most, you know, and, and people who love us and, and can see the path because they've walked the path. They try to set us up for, um, for success. And, they try to give us suggestions along the way. And I'll tell you what, I never paid for the suggestions that I took. I always paid for the suggestions that I didn't take, thinking that I knew the right way. <laughs> and really what happened was I got in my own way. So I really was able to do that. I was able to take guidance. I got a sponsor. I went through the steps. And my life got so good in my first year. I mean, it really did. I went from basically being a, a, a homeless bum living in the hood, couldn't afford $400 a month rent to, uh, I mean, I, I got a job. I had a, a few different jobs in my first year and they, and they steadily got better. The first job I got when I was actually clean, I got, uh, after I detoxed on my mother's couch, um, I detoxed on my mom's couch. I didn't sleep for three straight days. And that was, that was, that was bad. That was really brutal. Um, and I remember in my first week, I actually got a job, maybe just over a week working on an organic farm <laughs> and, and trust me, I, I'm, I'm definitely not a farm boy, but that was my first job in recovery. And it was perfect because it was so humbling. It was such hard work. 
um, and it I was getting paid pennies. You know, it wasn't good pay by any means, but it was very satisfying. It was hard work, and I was outside and I was planting things and I was learning about agriculture and, and farming and stuff like that, which I would never do that job again, no doubt. But the, the crew I was working with was cool. You know, it was a younger crew and like, you know, things just started happening for me. Like I didn't realize how important these little things were for me in my early recovery. But when I got, when I take a step back and I think about it, it's just so obvious and so clear to me how these things were happening for me. They weren't happening to me. They were happening for me, you know? And so, um, just my first year was just so good. Like, like again, I mean, the cravings come and go, of course, like you're going to have your battles, but just so much happened to me because I was continuing to do the right thing. And I was really willing to get plugged in and listen to people. Like I've said, so I just had all this stuff come back to me. I, I had a few different jobs. I actually got a car. I got my license stuff figured out. I, I, um, I got my own place. I had a girlfriend uh, that I met when I was about six or seven months clean. I mean, dude, like all this stuff happened, and I was like, "Wow, this is unbelievable," you know. And then in my second year, I thought I my ego started getting involved again. I didn't think I, I kind of forgot about how I got this stuff. You know what I mean? And, and so I started making the wrong choices again. I I actually almost relapsed in my second year and and thank God I didn't, you know what I mean? But cause who knows what would have ended up happening if that did. And, and so, um, yeah, like I got humbled in sobriety too. I mean, I've made many mistakes in sobriety, so I'm not coming from a place of Listen, I know, like, I don't have all the answers. I can, I can give you some answers from stuff that I've messed up on. I could tell you what not to do, as much as I can tell you what you should do. And so, um, but things just got so much better once I got clean. And and so, I learned the tools on how to get clean and how to maintain that. And then it's just kind of up to me to continue with those tools or not, because I know what works. And I've learned, like I said, what definitely doesn't work. And that's really what recovery is all about. It's a, it's a journey, man. It's not a destination. It's a journey. And I, and I really hope that you understand that, that some days are going to be tough. Some days are going to be really great because that's life. Life is about the ups and downs. They're, they're, you can't have just up, 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 up. It doesn't work that way. You got to have the bad days to appreciate the good and to keep it real with you. What if I told you that you don't even know what bad days really are? Because sometimes our biggest pillars for our growth in our life comes in the form of what looks like a bad day or looks like a bad event or looks like something that changes your life for the quote unquote negative but in reality, you don't have that overview. You can't really see down the line and how these things are going to impact your life for the good, for in a positive way. And that took me a long time to understand. There were a lot of things that happened in my life that I really defined as negative. For instance, when I told you when I was 18, I would have told you at 18, my life is over. I got two DUIs in three months. I'm done. I'm finished. Or when I'm 19 and I committed that robbery, I would have told you that my life is screwed, that I'm finished, I'm going to prison. These things were happening for me. They weren't happening to me. I mean, they were certainly happening because it was my fault, first and foremost. But the point is, is that I would, I, I never would have, I never could have understood in the moment just how pivotal and how important those days were for me. Among many other things, those are just a couple that I pointed out that are obvious. I shared my story, but things are happening like this in our lives every single day where we define it in the moment because we look at things so up close and personal through like a magnifying lens that we just focus on it and we try to define what it is. This is a bad thing. This is a good thing. 
blah, blah, blah. When in reality, you have no idea what type of purpose a single event can really hold in our life. And so what I learned is that I can't really define what is good for me, and I certainly can't define what is bad for me, which means I don't know shit. (laughs) I don't know nothing. And that is the best place to be when you have the humility to be like, you know what? I don't know what is good for me. I don't know what's bad for me. I can't define anything that's happened in my life. I, we can always deter, We can always make something into a positive if we look at it through the right lens, you know? But as I was saying before, sometimes life happens, of course. Life is always happening. And um, it's kind of like when you're sitting in the back seat, right? You're sitting in the back seat of a car and it's raining out. And you look out the window, and all you're really focused on is the raindrops on the window. You know what I'm saying? You're focused on the rain. But what you forget is that there is a whole world behind the window. There's a whole shot that you're not seeing. You're focused on the raindrop. The one little dot on the window. And that's basically how our life plays out on our day-to-day when we... When things happen to us, whether it be in sobriety, whether it just be life, right? Like it doesn't just necessarily have to be about recovery. It's just life. And so sometimes it's really important for me to remember that this is just one drop in the bucket, no matter what it is you're going through. Things can be really tough right now, right? You might you might be struggling right now. It might be You might be trying to get clean and you're trying to figure out how you're going to do it. And, and sometimes... No matter what it is that we're going through in the moment, this could be a transformational day for us. And we might not even know it. And so I hope you understand what I'm saying when I when I say that we really don't know what's good or bad for us. You know what I mean? And so um, that is my, my introduction to, uh, to basically my story of my uh, addiction. And, and I try to keep it as short as possible. And... and you know, just life today is, is amazing. You know what I mean? And, and the ups and downs continue, right? Like, like recovery, just what recovery does for us is it, it, the good news is, is recovery gives you your emotions back. The bad news is it gives you your emotions back, right? It's, it's one of those sayings where you get both. It's, it could be a good thing and a bad thing. It becomes raw. You know, you, you get you get your life back. It's what makes us a human being is being able to feel things and being able to be alive because we're so used to numbing them out when we're getting high and stuff like that, you know? It's a beautiful gift, man. It really is. And so um, what, I, what I want you to be open to is that recovery is a process, man. It's a journey. It really is not a final destination because we're just trying to get a little bit better each and every day. That's all. That's all the goal is. And um, just keep it really simple in the beginning. And um, to let you know, I, I am a I am a recovery coach. Uh, this is what I do for a living now, and and I'm so extremely blessed to be able to do something that I'm passionate about and that I enjoy and be able to give my experiences to people that are are trying to get sober too or already on the path to recovery and really want a life that they love and, and are excited about. Because to me, that is what recovery is actually about. People don't understand. Like I was mentioning earlier, I thought I thought sobriety was a death sentence. I thought it was going to mean a boring lifestyle Um, it was going to take the flavor, (laughs) the flavor out of life, you know, and I was, I was deceived. I really didn't understand what recovery was and what the opportunities were and what could be possible for me and what my life could become. I mean, I had no confidence, right? I I had no self-worth and I was just kind of like a lost puppy. You know what I'm saying? And I was just thinking, man. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what to expect. And I definitely had that part right. I didn't know what to expect because if you were to tell me what my life would look like today, if I was clean, uh, I would have sold myself short back then. You know, I really would have. And I want to, I want to try to leave you with this, that 
recovery is going to be whatever you whatever you want it to be. It can give you your life back. It can, you can you can set goals for yourself and have the type of lifestyle that you never ever could have while while getting high. It's kind of like you can have one thing an addiction, right? When you're getting high, the only thing that you can really have is your addiction, is the drugs and the alcohol. Or you can get sober and have everything but one thing. And that's recovery, right? When we get sober, we can have whatever we want. And I'm not just saying this as a fairy tale, la-di-dee, la-di-da type of crap. I really mean it. And I truly believe it because I'm living it. And I always and I wasn't always living it in recovery, so I've had the pessimistic view as well. But um, a lot of this channel, a lot of things I'm going to be talking about is mindset, how to how to change our perspectives, um, how to live a different lifestyle, things that can help, obviously, in recovery. And and I'm going to go through a lot of different things, you know. So I'm excited about it. And I'm really excited about this channel and. Um, I think this is going to be a really good thing moving forward, and so I hope uh, I hope everybody's doing well. I'm glad that you're tuning in and listening, and I'd appreciate if you subscribed. And um, welcome to uh, the sober plug. It's it's going to be good. So everybody have a great rest of your day, and uh, and I will see you on the next one.